The smart way to keep people passive and obedient is to strictly limit the spectrum of acceptable opinion, but allow a very lively debate within that spectrum. That was a quote from Professor Noam Chomsky. Good morning. Today is Monday, April the 6th. Welcome to the Darrell McLean Show. I am your host, Darrell McLean. In coronavirus-related news today, you have uh, worldwide, the count is up to 1,276,302,000 confirmed cases with uh, 264,048,000 recoveries and 69,527,000 deaths. In the United States, the number of confirmed cases is 337,309,000, recovered 17,528, and deaths 9,643 in the United States. The president on yesterday, of course, went back to um, suggesting that hydroxychloroquine can be used uh, to, to help uh, treat the virus. And many hospitals have used the drugs to treat patients, but others have noted that uh, there's serious risk in this particular drug and it can cause heart arrhythmia. If you come down with the virus, go to the CDC guidelines. Don't go by what the uh, commander-in-chief is saying at the moment. Um, He basically said, what do you have to lose? And my answer is your life. The British Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, who had been previously quarantined when he made the announcement that he came down with coronavirus has now been hospitalized with the virus. And as the number of cases rise in Japan, the Prime Minister there is is considering a state of emergency in Japan as well. Sadly, the captain of the, well now the relieved captain of the USS Theodore Roosevelt uh, is now come down with the coronavirus himself. The captain was, remember, relieved of duty for sounding the alarm on the coronavirus outbreak happening on his ship, and he was punished um, for what the Pentagon officially is saying is talking to people outside of his chain of command about the virus. The fact that he has a virus now, to me, proves that his fears were not misplaced. But unfortunately, truth can be punished in this current administration. And in that same vein, the intelligence officer who was known for protecting whistleblowers and who was the original one who basically flagged everybody about the improper phone call was relieved by the White House as well. So it's still revenge time and uh, the president has not changed his tune. If he seems like he's being attacked, he will lash out and attack back. And it doesn't matter if you are a captain who is saying something that's true. If it's not, doesn't fit the narrative of the White House, you're going to be fired. If you're an intel person who has credible information, if it goes against the narrative of the White House, you will be fired. And if you are a journalist who asks very tough questions, you'll be maligned and called nasty and shouted down in the White House press room. You still have to do your job anyway. You still have to tell the truth. You still have to hold the people accountable and just don't expect that you're going to always be rewarded for it. If you are a intelligence committee watchdog and you have information on the president and you plan to report it to Congress, just know that uh, just be ready 
and because it's going to cost you your career. But yet and still, you need to go ahead and do your reporting, follow your conscience. To the Harris campaign and to the Liz Warren campaign and told them about these allegations. And they got blown off. Those two senators didn't want anything to do with it. And these senators had said for many, many years that they wanted to do everything they could to help women in these situations, but in this case, they didn't. I just wonder what the difference is. The difference is political party. Uh, they just don't police their own. Ralph Northam is still governor uh, of Virginia. Why should he be? The man admitted that he wore blackface, and uh, you know he did things that would be considered utterly beyond racist. That's what uh, we're dealing with, Jesse. It's just yeah. not a same set of rules. It's true. All right, Governor, thank you very much. We appreciate your fairness. Sometimes you hate being right. Uh, yeah, a few shows ago, I said that uh, there were sexual assault allegations against Joe Biden, against uh, one of his former staffers. Uh, let you guys hear a little bit of a clip that was played, that was recorded with uh, Katie Halper. Um, you can go listen to the entire interview with the staffer and um, Tara Reid and Katie Halper about the allegations against Joe Biden and what I said on that show I still have the same beliefs now that you can pretend like this stuff isn't a story you can ignore it all you want don't think that uh, the Republicans weren't going to pick it up it didn't matter that CNN didn't cover it and that MSNBC didn't cover it Fox News has covered it, so please assume that Donald Trump is aware of it, and so is everyone else on the right, and so does all those independent voters who don't just watch MSNBC and CNN. They're fully aware of this story, and everybody who uses independent media, they're fully aware of the story. The story's already been covered by Reason Magazine, The Hill, Newsweek, Current Affairs, Democracy Now, The Economist, and Salon.com. So whether we like it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you believe Tyra Reid or not, it is going to become a story. It has already become a story. It is going to come up on the debate stage. Best believe Donald Trump is going to bring this up. Best believe if there is a debate and Fox News hosts a debate, they're going to bring it up all the time, all day. Go ahead and expect that Donald Trump is going to use the 2016 playbook and expect him to try to get Ms. Tara Reid to sit in the audience. Expect the press conference before the debates, you know, with Tara Reid sitting there saying what happened to her before the debate happens and then if we'll have to see how Joe Biden deals with it. We saw how it was very distracting when Hillary Clinton had to deal with all of Bill Clinton's accusers before the debate. This is serious stuff. And like I said before, this was predictable. It was predictable. I, I told you the attacks were going to come. I told you that the stories were going to go. I told you that putting our heads in the sand collectively was not going to make it go away and it didn't go away um, I watched on Twitter Simone Sanders um, 
went back and deleted all her previous Me Too and Trust Woman tweets. She went back and deleted all her accusations against Brett Kavanaugh when it came to Brett Kavanaugh's treatment of Dr. Blase Ford when they were kids. She went back and deleted all those tweets and thought that that would be a way to, you know, I guess stop the 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 onslaught, the attack that was going to come. That if she hadn't said, oh, trust women back then, that people were just going to forget about it. Well, that's just, that's not how it works. I'd said before that they would say that um, these, these, these people really don't care about these issues. They weaponize these issues for political gain. And you heard on that clip, the person responding was a uh, ex-governor Arkansas Republican Mike Huckabee who predictably said the exact same line that I said was going to be said that they don't police their own basically calling Democrats hypocrites and pretty much insinuating that the trust woman thing is just a political weapon used to people that it's when it's beneficial. Bernie Sanders has a very, very, very narrow path to the nomination. So by all by all um, likely accounts, Joe Biden is the go, is going to be the Democratic presidential nominee. He needs to come out right now and deal with these allegations. Period. And Bernie Sanders running third party for the Green Party is just silly. It's not an actual serious strategy. The Green Party is not going to win. They never have won. They've never run a real viable candidate that actually had any chance of getting more than 10% of the electorate. If anything, it would just be a spoiler, or he would be to be called a spoiler in the exact same way Ralph Nader was called a spoiler when he ran and George Bush was elected. Whether he was an actual spoiler or not in the, you know, 2000 campaign, it's up for debate. You know, we remember the story, George Bush, Ralph Nader, third party. You know, George Bush won. And there are people that will forever say that Ralph Nader, who ran as a Green Party candidate, led to Bush's election, even though he wasn't uh, the Democratic nominee, you don't hear, you'll never hear people saying that it was the fault of the Democratic nominee. They're going to say it was the fault of the guy who had the audacity to run as a third party candidate. If Bernie Sanders was to run under the Green Party ticket, it would be a recipe for disaster and it would ensure that people would not take him serious ever ever again the amount of vitriol that would be directed at his campaign him his movement and his supporters if he ran third party and lost would be about the same if not worse than the the vitriol and smugness in the way people discuss ralph nader now i mean as late as 2016 they were still writing uh, Ralph Nader elected George Bush articles. Now, the number of people who have lost their health care in the United States is absolutely astronomical. 
3.5 million people. That's how many people are reporting that they lost health care in the past two weeks. Now, I don't want to get into the argument about if this is the appropriate time to discuss health care during a pandemic. Obviously, it's the appropriate time. It's a pandemic. And now during a pandemic, you have people who don't have access to medical coverage for the simple fact that they lost their jobs when they didn't do anything wrong. They weren't fired. They didn't spread any diseases. States were shut down, and now these people are out of work. And because their health care is tied to their jobs, now they are all on their own. If the studies that keep coming out are true, that 40% of Americans, 40%, don't have $400 to cover an emergency, then we can labor under the assumption that these people do not have any money to go out and buy health care premiums. And if they lost their job, they're definitely going to pick food or rent, housing, you know, child care over getting a new medical policy. And I don't even know if $400 would even be enough to cover deductibles if anything actually happened to them. So when they get sick, they're going to go to the emergency room. And if they go to the emergency room during the pandemic, they will likely expose themselves to the coronavirus and then be required to get testing, which may or may not be free, and then have to get treatment, which definitely at this point is not free. Healthcare should not be a partisan issue. It should be a common sense issue. Like I said before, the number two economies figured it out, the number three economies figured it out, the number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve economies have figured this out. If we're the biggest and we're the best and we're the brightest and we're the richest, let's prove it, let's figure out this healthcare thing. In Chicago, seventy percent of the coronavirus nineteen case deaths are amongst black people. While black residents made up only 23% of the population of the countries, they account, they account for 58% of COVID-19 death. And half of the deceased lived in Chicago, according to data from the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office. So that uh, beats that myth that was going around in the very beginning of the virus that African-Americans were immune to coronavirus. The majority of black people that died because of the coronavirus had underlying health conditions like respiratory problems and diabetes. 81% of them had hypertension or high blood pressure, diabetes, or a combination of the three. It's as early in the pandemic and health officials are asserting information on which groups of people are being affected. It's a disturbing and upsetting, but not surprising, said Linda Ray Murray, health policy professor at the University of Illinois in Chicago. This is just a reflection of the facts that we already know about these pandemics. People who are vulnerable will die quicker and won't have in as many resources, end quote. So, again, that was predictable and it's sad. 
you are on the margins of society. You are working at a job that does not pay you adequately to sustain your life. You probably have medical insurance who is it's tied to your job. A pandemic breaks out. You are essential personnel, so you will be going to work. You work at the grocery stores. You work at the sheriff's office. You work for Lyft in the gig economy. You work for Uber. You dog walk. You are a nurse. You are a teacher. You know, if you are a teacher and the governor hadn't stepped up and closed down the school, you're exposed to the virus every single day while you do your public duties and provide children with food, education, child care. And because you do that, you'll be punished by putting your life at risk. And if you are already vulnerable and at the margins of society, you have a higher chance to contract the virus and it be fatal to you. This stuff is heartbreaking that people who already don't have are being taken for a ride where they are losing things that they can't get back, like their loved ones. And we keep seeing stories that people who actually lose loved ones during this pandemic have to let them die alone. And a lot of states are not even allowing funerals. There was a story and video going around where because the deaths have skyrocketed in some places, when their uh, people die, they just go right into cremation or they have been burning some bodies. And that's just not something that we're used to in this country. And not being allowed to grieve your loved ones, not being allowed to say goodbye, not being allowed to sit in the hospital room and have last words, it can be extremely, extremely debilitating. It's 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 a, a monstrous portrayal of something that we now know was was um, could could have been handled, and this could have the the spread could have not been as bad as it would have been. We didn't have to abolish the pandemic response team. The previous administration had put out an entire color-coded response book. We could have followed it, but we didn't, and um, people are going are suffering, and more people are going to suffer. It's the sixth, and the peak is going to be around, you know, Sunday up until Thursday. So make sure you tell people that you love them because if, if the Dr. Anthony Fauci's numbers are correct um, this we better buckle in for the worse. The youngest uh, Americans are facing what is for a lot of them the first serious economic crisis of their lives. By almost every measure uh, younger people are woefully unprepared. In the last few years they were uh, larger the ones for the American economy that did little help to set millennials up with a solid financial foundation. Overloaded with a credit card and student debt and the unprecedented 
and housing stock markets that entered into an uncertain period with significant obligations and few resources. Their position looks doubtly precarious when measured against older generations today and relative to those generations when they were the same age from 23 to 35 years old. Going into the financial crisis of 2008, Generation X was roughly the same age as millennials were today, but they had an average of twice the total assets that millennials now have when all bank accounts, stocks, loans are added together, according to analysis done by the New York Times by economists at the St. Louis Federal Reserve. Now, members of Generation X who are from 40 to 55 years old are in a strong position relative to millennials, even after being battered by the 2008 crisis. They have about four times the assets and more than twice as much in savings as today's youngest American adults. Even going into the situation, young adults who were in a very precarious situation, said Kramer, who's the lead millennial initiatives at New America, a left-center think tank, a sudden shock is really going to have a pretty big impact on this generation. The turmoil caused by the coronavirus has already bought out that generational division. College students partying on Florida beaches have earned the ire of older Americans who face graver health risks when youthful gatherings spread the virus. But while young adults may face fewer health problems, they are more vulnerable to financial costs of the downturn. Millennials are much more likely to be involved in part-time work and the gig economy, according to government reports, and these jobs have been hit very hard. Such work generally provides few benefits to cushion the blow of bad times. The sudden disappearance of paychecks combined with a wide array of monthly debt payments and the declines in any investments is forcing some millennials to take desperate measures. Social media has been filled with discussions about how the best to take money out of a 401k and other retirement accounts to pay rent. A personal prescription, this too shall pass. It's the time to um, call your grandparents, call your mom. They lived through hard times. You know, World War II, the Korean conflict, Vietnam, Pearl Harbor, um, the Great Depression. Call them and... Um, They'll give you some hope. Now, hope is not a financial plan, but hope is important to sustain you in a lot of these types of situations, especially when you have people who have been in isolation for three weeks that are so used to being out in public, and now they are stuck at home, you know, with only themselves and their thoughts. It's a good time to reach out to those family members who, you know, have somehow survived all these years for encouragement and motivation and solidarity. We are all in this together. Of course, I'm going to advocate for a massive government response, but I'm also going to advocate for a massive social response in the way we communicate with each other, in the way we protect each other, in the way we try to treat each other during this hard time. And there was a video that um, went around a few days ago of a bus driver by the name of Jason Hargrove who was driving a bus in Detroit when he said a passenger began to cough. Um, the video is up if you want to go check it out. Uh, I'm not going to play the video because 
It did have some profanity in it. But he basically said it was uncalled for. He was trying to be professional that they wanted him to be. And he kept his mouth closed, but he said with his uh, voice breaking with emotion, I kept my mouth closed, but at some point it's time to draw the line and say enough is enough. Well, uh, that bus driver has died from the coronavirus. So this is very serious stuff. And, I mean, going out in public and coughing all over somebody, you would think that'd be common sense, that that shouldn't be done. Apparently it's not. This stuff is serious and treat it as such. Wash your hands. Cover your face. If you cough, cough into your armpit or your you know, shirt. Don't touch your face. And uh, they're saying this, this virus, if somebody is in a room and they are letting off coughs, etc., that it actually can linger in that area for about two hours. So imagine uh, that being on a bus. Somebody is coughing all over the place and gets off the bus. And for the next two hours, everybody that gets in that space, in that confined space, has uh, it's acceptable. It's um, it's kind of shocking that these types of transportations and things like that are still up and running. And I understand why they are. I understand the sentiment that people still have to go to work and not everybody has cars. And that you can possibly confine people and everything will be okay. I just want you to think about this. Think about if you were on an airplane and the people in the back got to smoke, but the people in front didn't. That was the the, the front was the non-smoking area. Do you think that the people in the front aren't going to get affected by the smoke? I'll just leave you with that thought. Uh, it's the end of the Jerome McLean show. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to www.patreon.com slash the Jerome McLean show. The show is on Spotify, Google, uh, iTunes, and many, many more places where you get your podcast. And if you know of any more uh, forms, you can send me a email, and uh, especially if you're a patron, you can give me uh, show feedback, including uh, content that you think you'd like to hear discussed on the show, and I will address you, you know, personally. Of course, I won't uh, say your name if you, but I'll um, give you some good feedback. Take care of each other and have a good day.